0: We're in this series called Evangelism Is, uh, and I shared the first week of it, which uh, was two weeks ago, um, about evangelism, and how, for many of us, it's one of the greatest struggles that we that we have when it comes to our Christian walk. That Jesus clearly prescribed for us to do uh, evangelism, to live it, and yet it's one of the toughest things that we have to face. And so in order to combat this how do we make this a part of our lives and so the first week we talked about evangelism is inviting people that when we look at the simplicity of what it is it's as simple as John and Andrew encountering Jesus for the first time and then Andrew goes back and tells his brother Simon Peter hey I've met this man you have to come check him out and the moment that he meets him it changes the history of the Christian church that that's all evangelism is. is just, it's inviting somebody. That's step one. It becomes a culture of our life. And, and today I want to look at it a little deeper. If evangelism is inviting people, evangelism is also bringing people to the feet of Jesus. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2 if you want to turn there. And while you're turning there, I want to pray for us. God, thank you this morning um, for the beautiful worship we had. God, we're so thankful that you've blessed our church with each and every person that gives their talents freely here and leads us into your throne. Uh, This morning, God, as we transition from worshiping you through music into worshiping you through your word, Lord, I pray that you would make this such a real story in our lives. God, that we would see the importance of evangelism. God, we would see how easy evangelism is to, to just be a part of our lives. And so today, God, we ask that you open our hearts as you speak to us. Reveal to us our weaknesses, and God, begin to mold us into the people you created us to be. And we'll give you glory in Christ's name. Amen. You know, uh, it's, it's amazing when we examine the life of Jesus. He never tells us to do anything that he's not willing to first have demonstrated to us. Um, Jesus has demonstrated over and over again the inviting aspect of evangelism. Jesus was the master evangelist. And And so as we are going to get into this story in Mark chapter 2, you're going to see that there's three groups of people that this story centers around. And this morning, if you're here and you can hear my voice, then you're going to fit in one of these these three categories. Uh, There is no option D. There is A, B, or C. You're one of these three groups of people. And so I want to take a moment for us to examine this story, examine ourselves, and then find how we can move into Um, the friends that this paralytic man had. Mark chapter 2, verse number 1, we will read through verse number 12. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And when he was preaching the word to them, and they they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get him get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the disciples, or to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified. God saying, we never saw anything like this. It's an incredible story. Um, It is a part of what we call the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we call them synoptic gospels because they are kind of synchronized together. Uh, We believe Mark wrote the first. And the other two, who had intimate knowledge of these same stories, shared them but in a different perspective. Matthew writing to the Jewish people and Luke writing from his perspective of being a friend of Peter. And so you have these amazing uh, accounts of this story. This also takes place in Matthew chapter 9 and it takes place in Luke chapter 4, the same story. But Mark goes into greater detail with it. Um, The others give us some information as in who's all there. When you read it from Luke and Matthew's perspective, they tell you about the Pharisees and scribes that are there. As a matter of fact, Luke says people came from all over Galilee, all over Judea to hear Jesus in Capernaum. Now Capernaum was this ocean town right there uh, near the sea and people wanted to live there because of the fertile ground and people wanted to live there because of the atmosphere and we see that Jesus has now moved his residence even though he was a traveling man from Nazareth to now live in there um, and so Jesus has been out on these incredible things prior to this he's healed a man of unclean spirits he's healed uh, a man who has leprosy he's healed all these different people along the way and news is traveled And so the religious people said, we want to go check out and hear this man for ourselves. And so they go, and we find that the house is packed with people. Now, when we think of a house, we think of houses the way we live in them today. But back then, houses weren't the same way. Most houses were just one big room, and it wasn't a very big room. They say maybe 50 people squeezed in could fit inside of a room. I know what you're thinking, well, where do people sleep at and all that? That's why I brought this mat. Because everybody had a bed, and this is what a bed looked like. And so every night when they woke up, or every day when they woke up, they would roll their bed up and they would place it in the corner. And so when we read the story of the paralytic man, not only do we understand how people can fit into the house, but we also understand this is the illustration of the paralytic man's life. A bed. That's all he had. And so we find that this house is full and we don't know who the four men are. We don't know who the paralytic man is. We never find out who they are. We don't know what led into to it. Was he born paralyzed? Did something happen that caused him to be paralyzed? Regardless, we do know this, that the religious people of the time always associated people who were paralyzed with people who were sinners. And they did not associate with you. They didn't want to have anything to do with people who had struggles. If you were struggling, you weren't close to God. That was the attitude of the church people at that time. But something had moved these four men, who we believed to be their friends, who said, we have to get him to the feet of Jesus. We have to get him to where he can see this man who we're hearing all these stories about him healing. And so we find that they lay him on his bed and they grab each corner of it and they just begin to carry him. And we don't know how far, But we know that they carry him for some distance and they get to the place and they go, if we can get into the feet of Jesus, we know that he will be healed. We've heard the stories. We know that God's going to transform his life. And so they get to the house and there's so many religious people that they try to get into the house and they won't even let them in there. They're like, no, 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 it's more important that I hear what's going on than for this man to come in here and interrupt what Jesus is telling us. What I love is the persistent love and faith that these four friends had. They said, well, if we can't get him through, then we'll come down to Jesus. What an amazing picture of what grace is. Grace for these four friends was that they would let their friend down to the feet of Jesus. Grace for us is that Jesus would come down and let us be at his feet. And so these four friends decided that it was so important that their friends just get to a glimpse of Jesus, to get as close as they can to Jesus. They said, we're going to tear the roof off of the house that he lives in just to make sure that they get it. And when I was growing up, we used to do the little boards that had the sticky things on them that you could move around, if you remember that, Sunday school. And I remember the house was always like this straw roof, and, and they would just kind of pull it back. But we, but we know that houses weren't actually built like that. Houses were primarily made of mud, especially in an area like Capernaum. And so what they would have done is they would have had the walls up, they would have taken, they would have laid a bunch of branches and different things they could have used, and they would have put a bunch of mud over the top of it, and they would have had this kind of solid roof. And so these four men decide they're just going to start digging. And, and I often wonder what it would have been like to have been one of those 50 people just kind of tightly packed into the room, or what it would have been like for Jesus as he's sharing his heart. And you know, he's telling them some amazing truths. And all of a sudden, mud begins to trickle down from the ceiling as they dig deeper and deeper. And as they get deeper and deeper into digging, and all of a sudden, the sun begins to shine through, and they see a hole. We find that two of them step down, and the other ones, and they handle it down. You know, we don't think about the safety of it. But I guess they thought, if we drop him, what worse could it be, right? I mean, he's going to fall at the feet of Jesus. He already can't walk. And and so they begin to lower the man down. And Jesus, as he just sees them coming through the roof, he looks at the four friends and he says, because of your faith, he looks at the guy and he said, your sins are forgiven. What an amazing thing. Why did Jesus forgive him of his sins? Once Jesus looked at him and saw, there was a deeper issue there than he couldn't walk. That's what Jesus tells them. What is it easier for me to do, forgive his sins or tell him to walk? Forgiving his sins was something they viewed as impossible, and Jesus did it. It also demonstrated to all the religious people there that this man was not in the state he was in because of some past that he had. But if they wanted to believe that, then he said, okay, your sins are forgiven. And then he decided to let him down. And then Jesus, after conversating with the religious people, says to him, get up your bed and walk. And so the man would have rolled up his bed. And the very symbol of what it meant to be dependent on other people now became the symbol of what it meant to be dependent upon his Savior. Now look at that story. And you're probably going, how does this, Equate to evangelism, like what is evangelism in this story? I told you there's three groups of people here. There's religious people. There's people who are paralyzed from whatever has taken place in their life. And there's persistent people who says, I don't care if it means I have to rip the roof off the top of a building. If getting my friend to Jesus is a thing that's going to save their life, then I'll do that. This morning, you're in one of those three categories. And what I'm hoping is, as we continue our talk this morning, is that if you're not the friend willing to rip a roof off, that God shows that to you, and he begins to work on you, and you realize the importance of what it means to be a persistent friend who cares more than than for what your friend can bring to you, but you care about their eternal state. The first group I want to look at is the religious leaders. You know, Jesus had an ongoing thing with the religious people of that time. He was not satisfied with how they had manipulated religion. He didn't like the way they abused the name of God. He was just fed up with how people were. And so he intentionally confronted a lot of their man-made rules to kind of hold them accountable to what God had called them to do. He would look at them and go, whoever told you that it's a sin or a sin that has caused you to be paralyzed? What, whatever gave you that right to believe that? Jesus challenged them over and over again. And what's funny is they continued to want to be challenged. Now, I believe of all the religious people that there were some that wanted to hear what Jesus said. They were fascinated by him. And there were some who were ready to catch him in his mistakes so that he could be hung at a cross. And so now we face this reality that nothing has changed over time. We still find church people who think that it's better to make man-made rules than it is for people to get access to Jesus. They were so content. With hearing Jesus, making sure they could rebuttal anything He said, they didn't even notice that there were four friends fighting for the life of their brother. That they wanted Him to encounter Jesus. This morning, if you go, that's me. Then you have to face the reality that God is not satisfied with the life that you're living. God didn't make you the warden of the Christian faith. Where you get to determine who comes to the altar and who doesn't. Jesus came and ran that culture out of the days that they were facing. He didn't want them to think that they controlled who had access to God. Over and over again, he demonstrated to them that everyone has access to God. Oh, if you're a leopard and you're outcast, who cares? You can come to God. Oh, you think because you've been through six different marriages that you can't encounter God? You can. You think because you live a promiscuous life that you can't encounter Jesus? You can. But the religious people felt that their responsibility to go, no, no, you can't do that. And that attitude still remains in church today. We can't be satisfied with letting God do what He wants to do. We've made church our own sacred place where we want God to speak to us and us alone. Don't let somebody rip the roof off of this building. We'll be so upset. No, no, that doesn't need to happen. We're busy right now. Oh, we need somebody to help teach with children's church. That's not my responsibility. I'm here for me. And we're just crowding out and crowding out the very ones that God wants to access. God wants to wrap his arms around children and tell them how much he loves them and we crowd them out. It's not my responsibility. I'm here for me. God wants to bring the drug addict into our church and we go, it's not my responsibility. I don't have to love them. They smell bad. They look funny. I don't, that's not my responsibility. And I know that Jesus is shouting from heaven. That's who I came for. And they come for the church. The church already has what they need. I came for the ones who didn't know what they needed. And in this story, it's the religious people, the churchgoers, who box out the man who needs Jesus the most. And so then we look at this this paralyzed man. And even if he would only been paralyzed for a month, can you imagine how horrible that month must have been? They didn't have wheelchairs. They didn't have places where you could go and people would take care of you. He would have literally had to lay in the street until somebody would pick him up and move him. He would have to lay in his family's home until somebody picked him up and moved him. If he had to go to the bathroom, he just had to go where he could. He lived a a dirty life, and instead of facing people who loved him and cared about what he was facing, they judged him. And every day, Pharisees and scribes would walk along the road, and I imagine they would look at this paralytic man and be like, if you wouldn't have sinned like like you were told not to, you wouldn't be in the state you're in. Or they would look at him and go, if your parents were better people, you wouldn't be who you are today. If you would just live how the Bible tells you to, you wouldn't be facing the stuff you're facing. And everywhere he ever was carried to, and every person he ever encountered, cared more about what he had done than about what he could be. And this morning, if if you're not one of the church people of this story, then maybe you're the paralyzed person. Who your past has weighed you down so much, that you go, somebody's going to have to just carry me. You wake up on a Sunday morning and go, I can't just go to church this morning. Somebody's got to carry me. And you go to work and and you look for the Christian there to embrace you with an unconditional love that you read about their their Savior has, and instead you face judgment. Well, you wouldn't have had that problem had you not went out Saturday night. And instead of finding out what's got them to the point that they are, They care about why they are who they are. This morning, if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, you're the paralyzed man of the story. You may have come here this morning and go, no, no, what I need from Jesus this morning is to help me with my finances. No, I, I need Jesus to help me because I got this bad cough and I can't seem to kick it. And you're so delusional about what your problem really is. The paralyzed man had no idea. He just wanted to walk. And Jesus said, that's great, and that's going to come. But until you have been transformed on the inside, you'll never be able to be the person you want to be on the outside. And today, you face that same situation. You come here for all these things that you want Jesus to help you with. He's the genie in the bottle. You just want to rub it this morning and go, I'm struggling. I need you to help me. And Jesus helps you with it. And you go, all right, I'll see you when I'm struggling again. It's not how it works. You come here for that. But Jesus said, until I can transform you on the inside, you'll never be who you're supposed to be on the outside. The paralyzed man didn't encounter Jesus. And Jesus go, all right, just walk. You're good. You're good. Go on. I got other things to do. Jesus looked at him. He saw the hurt. He saw the judgment. He saw the struggles. He looked at everybody's eyes in there as they judged him for the state he was in. As people were probably mad that they were interrupting Jesus, that they had ripped the roof off the place, and all these emotions were running so raw there. And Jesus looked at him and didn't go walk and get out of here so we can go back to what we're doing. We're supposed to be having church here. Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. Not because you've asked for it, because your four friends brought you here. And that brings me to the final piece of this puzzle. Evangelism is bringing people to Jesus. Evangelism is ushering people into the feet of their Savior. I wish we knew the story of these four friends, but we don't. And maybe they were his friends, maybe they were his brothers, maybe they were associated with him by just bringing him there that day and they were just labeled as such. Whatever the case is, we know that there's four compassionate men who saw a man laying with no hope and said, come on, I I know where hope is. And they said, "I, I can't even go. They said, that's okay. If it means that I have to pick you up and carry you and walk you 100 miles and dig the roof off the top of a building, if that's what I have to do for you to have a new life, then that's what I want to do. How many times do we, myself included, sit at some place, whether it be work or even in our, home, our own homes, and we hear somebody talk about all the things they're going through? And they say, I'm struggling with this, and and we're not having good communication in our marriage, and we're having this breakdown, and my kids aren't listening to anything I say. And then I go to my family's house, and my family don't understand what I'm going through. And I went to a small group, but all they did is talk about judging people, and they have all these excuses, and we listen to them, and we go, ah, it's too messy, I don't want to get involved in that. But what Christ has called us to do is to look through the eyes of compassion and go, Come come with me. If it means that I have to pick you up and carry you, then I'm going to do that. If it means that I have to tear the roof off the top of a church because you're not comfortable unless we do that, then that's what I want to do. I just want the end result to you to be at the feet of Jesus. Evangelism is us bringing people to the feet of Jesus. Inviting is the first step. Bringing is the next step. When we go back to the first story we looked at, Andrew didn't just go to Peter and go, all right, Peter, you go hear him for yourself and tell me what you think. Andrew was like, no, if if, if I'll go back with you, I'm telling you, once you encounter Jesus, you're going to see that he is different. And Andrew, I imagine, grabbed Peter by the hand and brought him back to Jesus because he wanted him to see just who he was. I want you to invite somebody. But what I want even more is for you to go and pick the person up if it means that you have to. Or that you call them at 7.30 in the morning and go, are you up and getting ready for church? I need you to come. Do I have to come pick you up? Because we care so much for their soul. We help people all the time and we neglect the real need that they face. I'll give you marriage advice if you want. it. I'm happy that if you're going through a struggle to help you out. If you want me to pray for you, I'll pray for you. But what's really going on on the inside is they need somebody to grab them and carry them to the feet of Jesus. The story unfolds the way it does because four men looked through compassion and said, I will drag you if I have to. But you are going to encounter Jesus. Every story we've ever heard is going to become the story of your life. This mat that you have been living on for however long you've been paralyzed is going to be the thing that you begin to show people about how Jesus got you out of this life and into something new. They looked at his story and said, that's what it means. It means that if somebody says, I'm struggling and all I want to do is stick a syringe in my arm, we go, no, 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 if I have to carry you to Jesus, I'll do it because it's important. And the syringe that defines your life is now the very thing you hold up and go, because of Jesus, I don't need this anymore. Because of Jesus, I don't need a substance to alter the way I feel. Because of Jesus, I don't need another failed relationship to define who I am. Because of Jesus, I don't have to find my worth any longer in what people say. Because of Jesus, I'm so thankful that my mother cared so much for me that even though it meant dragging me to church, she knew that the only hope I would be the man that God designed for me to be was to drag me to church. Men, the only way you'll ever be the husband that God designed for you to be is to drag your wife to church if you have to. The only way you'll be the wife and the mother that God ever called you to be is to drag your children to church. You can't look at them and go, I hope they turn out to be a great man one day and not model what a great father looks like. You can't go, I hope that they turn out to be godly adults when they grow up and never bring them to church. The things that we struggle with are the things that need to be placed at the feet of Jesus. And, and I'm sure that you have some testimony yourself of some person who was so persistent in your life who said, I know you're going through stuff, but if I have to bring you to church myself, I'll bring you. But you just have to get to the feet of Jesus. This morning, if you're here and you go, I'm struggling... There's so many things clouding the way I see things. I don't understand why my relationship with Jesus is fractured. I don't understand why I don't even have a relationship with Jesus at this moment. If those are the questions going through your mind, then I have great news this morning, is that God has ripped the roof off the building. He's lowered you to the feet of Jesus, and this morning transformation can happen. But it takes faith. That you believe that the only way you'll ever navigate the issues that you face is that God takes over the leadership role of your life. If you continue to lead your life, you'll always struggle. But if you go, I have proven over and over again that my leadership leads to failure. And so God take it over. That surrender in that moment is where Christ comes in and transforms our lives. And in that transformation, we become the person that God designed for us to be. The paralytic man walked out that day, and no one ever knew who he used to be because he became who God wanted him to be. The fear of our past always makes it impossible for us to move forward. But people's always going to know that I used to do this. Who cares? In God's eyes, that never happened, and now you're who he wants you to be. This morning, if if you're here with the struggle, I want you to know that God has designed this service, this message, and this opportunity specifically for you. He wants you to come to his feet, cast everything aside, and let him take over your life. Let's pray, God. Thank you this morning for such a beautiful illustration of what it means to bring people to you. God, I pray for each and every person here. God, if if someone's here and says, man, when I read this story, I'm the church person. God, that you will begin to mold them into the friend that just brings people to church. God, maybe this morning you've revealed that they identify with the paralytic man, that their life is defined by the mat they sleep on. but God, this morning you have created this opportunity for them, that you've created this moment for them, that you've created this life-changing opportunity for them. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give you that chance this morning. If you're here and you say, I, I'm the paralytic man. My struggles have always defined me. I've always lived in fear of not being who God wants me to be. I've always just struggled with my past. If that's you, I want you to come forward this morning. I want to meet you in faith and pray with you. And I want you to encounter Jesus like you never had before. That this fear that has your heart racing right now, that it will vanish the moment you get at the feet of your Creator. That the, that the things that you've wrestled with for years are, the, are going to be melted away when you come to the altar this morning. This morning, this invitation is for you and for you alone. That we're going to take a couple of minutes and those of you who are the friends in the story, you're going to start praying a prayer that drags them up here. And if you're here this morning and you're the person that says, I'm the paralyzed man, I need help. And while we're praying for you, I want you to come forward and and make that public profession of putting the mat under your arm and go, I'm a new man, I'm a new woman this morning. While the music plays and we pray, I invite you forward.